in students of meditation or people who learn meditations um, they initially they attach a lot of importance to the appearance the form they usually ask the questions uh, how do I cross my leg is it my right leg on my left or left leg on my right? Uh, when should I meditate? For how long? Uh, should I, can I meditate at home? What clothes should I wear? Um, can I meditate after eating? You know, they all ask all kinds of this kind of um, superficial questions. They're important. I'm not saying they're not important. And, um, but, when we talk about the three adjustments in doing meditation, adjustment of the body, adjustment of the breath, and adjustment of the mind, um, because adjustment of the body and breath is always in the beginning. We always attach, a, put a lot of time, emphasis on how to do it. Um, the whys of do it, and also a major part of the how and do it, we really haven't touched too much. The more important is adjustment to the mind. So no one can meditate properly without knowing how your mind works. If you don't know how your mind works, how can you meditate? If you don't know how your mind works, how can you adjust your mind? You don't even know how it works. You can't adjust it. You only know how to adjust your mind when you know exactly how it works. So I think I should spend more time in doing that. And if you really want to learn meditation, not just meditation, if you really want to learn about the Buddhist teaching, you really have to review it again and again and again on how the mind works. Because we have been habitually thinking in a pattern that we want. And that pattern has been distorted for many, many lives. And we've been carrying that through without noticing it. Now the Buddhist teaching said, no, that's not the right way. But you have been habitually attached to it. How can you change? Maybe one out of a thousand, one out of 10,000. So let us review it again because I've been talking for 20 minutes one day and 10 minutes and 15 minutes another day. Let's do it a little bit more. And remember, you cannot meditate without knowing how your mind works. How can you adjust it? And um, I'm going to give you some quote quotations on to substantiate what I've just said. Now, I picked something last night from uh, the Ten Bumi Sutra. It says the three rams. You know what the three rams are? The three rams, the Kama ram, they are the Kama Daktu, Rupa ram, Arupa ram. Kama being the ram of desire, the world we're living in, and the Rupa ram is the, is the ram higher than us, sentient beings higher than us. Sometimes you call them guardian angels. They're higher than us. They're without desires. They're no, there's no, they have no sensual desires that we have but they still have materialism. They still have a body, and that is the Rupa Ram. The, the highest Ram is 
our rupa realm, with our body, they only have consciousness. The higher you are, the higher your happiness, the higher your standard, your quality of life, we call it. And it says the three realms, the whole universe, including heavens, including those 28, 28 heavens, are nothing but the manifestation of the mind. Um, they are nothing but the manifestation of the mind. To those who know their minds, there is not a single inch of soil on earth. In other words, if you know your mind, every inch of the earth you know. You don't have to look for it. There's not a single inch of soil on earth that you don't understand if you know your mind. Now that's in the, in the, the ten Bhumi Sutra. When you know your mind, then you know how you think. But the subtlety of the mind is that you have been habitually thinking in a distorted pattern. I just gave an example. The Buddha said relationship, sensual relationship between a man and woman is only good in the world of desires. Not good, it's, it's, it's in the world of desires. And once you get rid of that, you're on your way to enlightenment. How can you get rid of that? Because you have been habitually doing that. The subtlety of your mind, you don't understand. You have been doing that, and if you don't do that, then you feel that it's, life is meaningless because you've been used to that. So even though you know your mind, the subtlety of it, you still have to train it. You still have to go through the training process. Knowing your mind is the first step. Meditation to train it, to train your habit, to, to get rid of your habit is another procedure. The sutra spoken by the Sixth Patriarch, it says, chapter one, who would have thought that the essence of the mind in, is intrinsically pure? Who would know about this? If, if, you, if you talk to an average Joe Blow in the street, your mind is, your essence of your mind is intrinsically pure. He does not know what you're talking about. What do you mean by the my mind is pure? He may not, he may think that he understands, but actually he doesn't. Who would have thought that the essence of the mind is intrinsically free from becoming or annihilation, becoming a living, becoming a rising? Huh? Who would have thought that the essence of the mind is intrinsically omnipotent, self-sufficient? Is everywhere is self-sufficient. It understands everything. It's omnipresent. It has all the knowledge. Who would have thought that the essence of the mind is intrinsically free from change? This is a world of changeability. But the essence of the mind is free from change. It's in, if we can call that, quote and unquote, eternity. It's in eternity. For him who does not know his own mind, learning Buddhism does not enlighten him. So if you don't know your own mind, you keep on learning and prostration and burning your incense, offering your flowers. It does not help that much. You only blindly follow a faith without investigation, without researches, without understanding it. So if you do not know how your own mind works, there's no use learning Buddhism.
Because when you learn Buddhism, you know what is in, in an average person's mind? How do I get blessings? If I learn Buddhism, how does it benefit my body, my health? How does it help me to be more successful, uh, to, to gain more money, to get a good job, to get a good family? You're always thinking about, I want this, getting more, 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 more. That's usually what an average person thinks. There's a Korean monk, he has a very good saying, and I would like to quote it out. Uh, Korean Pu Zhao Chan Si. Uh, the Secrets of the Mind. That's a very old book. There's no English translation. I was, I'm planning to translate it, but I haven't got time to translate it now. It's The Secrets of the Mind. When you know your own mind, you would spontaneously understand the vast and subtle meaning of all the dharmas. You do not have to look for them. When you know your own mind, there's not a single inch on earth that you don't understand. So, that's knowing that we have to know our own mind. Then you may ask the question, if I know my own mind, do I have enlightenment? Do I become a Buddha? Knowing your own mind is the first preliminary initial step. The second step is to train your mind based on what you know. And that's what we call what? Meditation. So knowing it is not enough. The librarian reading every day in the library would have been a Buddha if, he, if knowing is enough. He knows all the words, he knows all the books. He could have memorized all the books, but he hasn't trained himself to follow what he knows. You've been learning Buddhism for how many years? Somebody said something, you don't like it, you dislike. All your dislike comes up, all your disgruntle comes up, all your egoistic feeling comes up, because you know, but you haven't practiced it. I've seen a lot of Buddhists like that. They've been Buddhists for many years. But when I know when somebody talks to them, they don't like it, they have disgruntled. Oh, there, Mr. A talked to me like that. I don't like it. Look at that guy. That guy it's, 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 it doesn't look good. You know, he's been learning. He knows. But he hasn't practiced it. His egoistic feeling is still there. He could have been a scholar. He was a scholar of Buddhism, but he is not a practitioner. There's a difference. Why do we have mental afflictions? Because we're habitually attached to external objects. Habitually. Remember that word habitually. Habitually doesn't mean this life. For many, many lives. Boys, female, have been habitually attached to relationships of female and female to male. They can change. They, in this world, they can change. They're attached to external objects. And external objects means what? People, situations, nature, everything. External objects, all external objects. Then later we have to, we have to analyze how many external objects are there. Now usually when our sensory organs, let's do a review. Our sensory organs, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body and mind, a short, brief review interact with objects, people and situations, everything. Eyes interact to matter, ears to sound, nose to smell, tongue to taste, body to touch, and mind to dharma. What does dharma mean? Mind to everything. Dharma means everything. Whatever 
even including melody, sound, smell, taste, touch, everything. Including everything, the mind interacts with everything. When this interaction comes, what happens? What is interaction? This interaction is nothing but what? Networking. You know networking? Everyone is networking with everybody. You're, net, you're networking with me, you're networking with the neighbor, you're networking with your family members, you're networking with the whole world. There's not one single object in this world that you are not networking. Whether it's active or inactive, that's another thing. Because of this networking, computer science develop, develop, develop. This interaction. So what you think affects everybody. In Germany, when, when Hitler was his, in his early age, every book that he read, every sentence, had the networking with the future concentration camp, with everything. That's just a simple example. All right, then when this interaction happened, this networking happened, there's a consciousness being created, your consciousness being created. And how many of these consciousnesses are there? And we always say we have eight consciousnesses. Eyes, a consciousness, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind. Mind, sometimes you wish the word mano, which is the Sanskrit word, mano consciousness. We have six in here, right? What is the other two? There's one egoistic consciousness, which is the manas consciousness. There's also the storage, the banking consciousness, which is alaya consciousness. Now these consciousnesses, will disintegrate when your body dies. But the manas consciousness, when your body dies, will shrink into the alaya consciousness. And the alaya consciousness never dies. It just keeps on changing forms. So these consciousnesses depend on your sensory organs, right? Otherwise, they won't come up. Without sensory organs, they're not active. And this consciousness, once it arises, how does it interact with the objects once your consciousness arises? It attaches to them without knowing it. Now this attachment is very subtle. We have to further analyze what kind of attachment that is. What attachment? We habitually for reincarnations, for many, many incarnations, we attach to them. Now this is something that we know. When we attach, we know all oh, our conscious, my consciousness is working at, in the attachment. How many consciousness are there? Eight. We call it the eight kings. Or we can say um, seven kings and one queen. We say the manas consciousness is the queen. And these six kings will disintegrate once a person dies. The final alaya consciousness king is still there, but changing its form. These kings, um, they are parliamentary monarchy in the parliament. They have a lot of ministers working for them. Good ministers, bad ministers, neutral ministers, 
These ministers are in the parliament of your own mind. Kings must have ministers to help them, and you got to know all these ministers in your parliament. In the in the parliament of your mind, you have to know every backbencher, opposition leader, opposition party, and the governments. You know all of them. Even if you know all of them, not enough. Study them. That's how you rule a country. If you learn Buddhism, and you know this, you already you know that you have to understand the whole parliament in order to run your country. In order to achieve the well-being of your people, that's you. Why do we have mental afflictions? Because our consciousness attached to external objects. Attachment is habitual thinking that occupies the mind. During the attachment, concurrent mental functions arise simultaneously to disrupt our inner peace. Mental functions. So these are the ministers. These are the concurrent mental functions. Are the ministers helping your kings, the eight kings, to perform, to speak, to carry out all volitional actions? Don't you have to know all these ministers, the mental functions? What are these ministers? Concurrent mental functions. Remember, let's get a fast review of it. We've been talking for quite a while. Omnipresence functions. These are the ministers of omnipresence: attention, contact, sensation, perception, and volition. These are the working ministers. These ministers does not matter who is in power; they always have to work. Your attention, your contact, your sensation, perception, volitions. These ministers always have to work. Does not matter whether you know who will be in power. The show must go on. There must be someone who who roll up the curtain, someone who move things around. The lighting ministers, lighting with lighting, sound system for the show. Does not matter who becomes to me the king, and then there are five of them, and then there's the object contingent functions, special ministers setting committees for each ministers of them. Object contingent depends on what project. Desire is purpose of the project. Resolution your determination, the importance of the project. Mindfulness, how to carry it out. Concentration, how do you assign your staff and concentrate on the project? Intelligence, you have to get all your information together to carry out the committees to carry out this project. This is specific, contingent upon situations. This, you have five of these ministers in you, in your par in the parliament of your mind, and sometimes these ministers may be lazy. The minister of attention is not working. Minister of Sensation is not working. Then you don't have consciousness. You don't have a desires, or that when your object contingent functions minister are so weak. These are the lazy people who never want to achieve. Why do I have to study? I just want to enjoy myself. I don't have a purpose in life. I don't have object contingent functions. There are people like that. They. An object of contingent ministers are so weak that they can't achieve anything in life. They cannot be enlightened. They cannot enlighten others. 
They cannot even lead a good life. Some people are like that. Five of these. And there are unwholesome functions, as I, as I said, 26 of them. Unwholesome ministers, these are really bad ministers. They get into trouble, and we'll go through them later. There are the wholesome functions, the, the, the very good, kind, lenient, uh, benevolent ministers who are helping you to carry out good things. I will go through them later. And there are undetermined, four uncategorized functions. These are the ministers who don't, don't take sides. For example, we don't know whether they are wholesome or unwholesome. For example, regret. The minister of regret. What, what kind of examples? You went to a, a, a charity and you were so impressed at that time in the party. People have been pledging donations and you, you really you want to help out, help out the poor students, for example. And they say, I want to donate $20,000. And then you went home. Your wife said, you're stupid. 20000 is enough for a car. How can you donate 20000 do you know these organizations? You start to be very regretful. Oh no, I shouldn't have done that. I already have pledged that. You've done something good, but you're regretful about it. I don't want to do that. Oh, I'm stupid. Well, why do I have to donate 20,000? What do I care about these people? This could be bad people. You regret. So there's an unwholesome regret. And sometimes there's a wholesome regret, you know. You have done something wrong to your friend. You yell at him. You cheat at him. You feel so regretful. I want him to forgive me. I want to call him up and express my, my, my regretfulness. I'm sorry, John. I, the other day, I shouldn't have said that to you. I really want to apologize. I don't want to do that again. And that's a good regret, a wholesome regret. So this minister's undetermined, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Drowsiness, too. Drowsiness too. Sleep, for example, if you sleep for good health, okay. If you oversleep, that's become bad. Drowsiness. If you are so drowsy, it, it, that sometimes drowsiness could put you to sleep so that when you wake up, you'll be more vigilant. That's a good drowsiness. In some drowsiness, when you're listening to something, lecturing or talking, you want to feel drowsy, I don't want to listen to, that's unwholesome, so undetermined. Investigation, if you investigate into something good, that becomes wholesome. If you investigate into something bad, it becomes unwholesome. Scrutiny too, so there are four of these undetermined, uncategorized functions, that is to say, ministers in the parliament of your mind. Altogether, you have 51 of these ministers in your mind. These are concurrent mental functions. Let's go into the next one. So, what are these unwholesome mental functions? I just want to flash through it without getting into details. Your greediness, unwholesome mental functions, 26 of them. Greediness, anger, ignorance, arrogance, doubt, evil views, disbelief, laziness, indolence, thoughts, wandering, torpor, uh, forgetfulness, distractions, force, understanding, shamelessness, no guilt, 
hatred, express hatred, hidden hatred, vexation, jealousy, harm, parsimony, arrogance, concealment, flattery, and deceiving. Some people may not know what parsimony means. It means you're stingy. You don't want to donate anything. You just want to receive. You don't want to donate. Okay. Now, these are the secondary medium, root, and primary. These are the primary ones. And all these medium and secondary flow from the root ones. Um, they are so subtle that you sometimes they arise without you knowing them. You feel jealous. You don't even know you're jealous. You keep on being jealous. You've been habitually jealous. So these, you know them, but when they come out, they occupy you habitually. You don't know. You know it's not right, but you keep on doing it because you've been habitually attached to external objects and these concurrent mental functions habitually come up. How long has your habit been built up thinking in that way? Millions of years. You think you can change overnight for some habits that you built up millions of years ago? I remember there was a, a saint who, who, who said, your words become your thoughts. That means words come precede thoughts. You cannot think without words. That's why when a baby, a baby cannot really think properly, he already knows pleasurable, unpleasurable. When it's unpleasurable, he cry. If it's pleasurable, he smile and laugh, you know. There must be some thinking in your mind. How can you think about flower's beauty without knowing the word flower? That's the reason why the mom and dad always teach the baby, oh, mom, dad, good, bad, you know, you have to, to educate the babies. So words come, becomes thoughts. You have all the words in your mind, then you become thought. Thoughts become what? Actions. Actions including speech. When you have thoughts, you have actions, you have speech. Actions become what? Actions becomes habits. And when you do your actions all the time, it becomes habits. Your actions, your speech, your thinking has been what? Arrogance, sensual pleasures, indulgence, inferiority complex, laziness, vexations, jealousy, hatred. These are the habitual, habitual tendencies. So we've been all absorbed with that. So these are the unwholesome mental functions. What are the wholesome mental functions? 11 of them. 26 bad and 11 good. All these, faith, shamefulness, guilt, no greed, no hatred, no, no ignorance, diligence, joy, equanimity, no indulgence, no harm. How many of these do you have? Do you have no greed? You may think, I'm not greedy. You haven't noticed your greediness because every thought is so subtle. It, it comes out without you noticing it because you've been habitually thinking that way. 
You think you have no jealousy? You have no hatred? This is what I like to point out. Words, thoughts, actions, habits becomes what? Habits becomes your personality. Per personality or character becomes your destiny. You are what you repeatedly do. You are what you repeatedly think. Change your habits. We know that for every thought that comes up, first of all, the consciousness comes up, you have all these concurrental functions helping you to form that. And in meditation, we have to know the, uh, the, uh, the arising, the becoming, and the disintegration of every thought. Oh, here's a thought of pleasure. Here's a thought of jealousy. Here's a thought of hatred. So you let it come out. When it come out, habitually you attach them, you let them go. So the first lesson in meditation is not how to cross your leg, how to do that superficially, how to let go. And this letting go is not easy. Because even if you can let go within a half hour meditation in here in this hall, when you go out, you're not the same anymore. You're still attached to your, old, old, your, your own old habits. So that's why Aristotle, one of the most famous Greek philosophers said, we are what we repeatedly do. If you change your habit to be better, you're improving yourself. So excellence is not an act, it's a habit. If you habitually want to change, so starting from today, write, write on a piece of paper all your bad habits that you realize. Write it on a piece of paper and say, I want this to disappear. I don't want to be lazy. I want to be persistent. I want to be hardworking. I want to build up good relationships. Start to, to point out your bad personalities. Then you change your destiny. Don't you want to change your destiny or improve it? From today on, I'm selfish in teaching other people what I want to share. I want to share this with all my friends, telling them that, hey, bad habits is bad for you. Changed it. You can be a good teacher. But don't make egoistic feeling in your teaching. I'm better, I know more. I'm your big brother. <laughs> Eliminate that. That's a subtlety in your arrogance. You may not know about it. I've done a review of what the mind is all about. Knowing your mind is the first step. And actually, this is a summary of Vajnana This is something that you should, like, we used to memorize this so that we know who they are. Know your parliament. Know the parliament of your own mind. Every backbencher, every, in the British, in the British parliament, um, they have backbenchers. Know every opposition party, every government member, and carry out these parliamentary functions in the most efficient and wholesome ways in your mind. Now these are the concurrent functions. Uh, 
omnipresent mental functions. Do you know any of these? Attention. The mind must be awakened and aroused, concerned for the object in order to create consciousness. If you don't, if the, if the minister of attention is not working, then you don't have the consciousness. Contact. Your sensory organs must be in contact with the external objects. Sensation. You must realize a sensation feel, feeling, pleasurable and unpleasurable. Perception, a process of taking an image of the object and associate it with words. If you don't have words, you don't have thinking. You look at a flower, you don't know what that, you don't know this is flower. You can think about the, the flower is red or green. You don't even know what it is. Volition comprises of valuation for decision making and initiation of action expressed in bodily deeds and thoughts. So that's the omnipotent functions. Object contingent functions is specific. Desire, when one sees an object for which it holds interest and concern and hopes to attain it or to see, hear or perceive it, it could be wholesome or unwholesome. The desire could be wholesome or unwholesome. In your mind you said, oh, I have been studying the Buddhist teaching and I find it to be absolutely important for my life. I have a desire to know more about it. Then your contingent desire mental functions is working. I desire to know more about it. In your company you say, I desire, I, this is my job. I'm working for my boss, this is, a good, this is the company. I, want, I desire to do a good job. So that's the reason why North American positive thinkers say, whatever the mind desires the mind can do because your parliament your minister of design is so strong at the same time if you have the wrong desire it leads you astray it leads you into jail I desire to be rich in the fastest way a brick in house I steal treasures you know what kind of desires resolve it is a devotion that acknowledges the object and wants to achieve what one wants, what you want. This is resolve. You, you determine. Mindfulness, perceive the previously cognized object such that it is not forgotten. That means you always remember that you want to do it. Put it in your agenda. You always remind yourself to do it. Concentration, you concentrate on what you're doing. Uh, if you watch a game, whatever game, athletic game, any kind of game, who would win? Concentration is very important. Sometimes a champion is the most aggressive, the most active, but this challenger, he's very concentrated. He's not bragging, he's always concentrating himself. He has a higher possibility to win. Concentration, resolve and concentration. Intelligence, the intelligence to achieve the desires. So these are the object contingent functions. So unwholesome functions, 26. Wholesome functions, 11. Altogether, you have 51 of these. 51 plus the eight consciousnesses. So we have 59. 59 of them. And then we say objects. What kind of objects do we have? Remember, we have, we categorize. How many objects we have? Billions, unlimited. How many objects are our eyes see in here? Here, listen, unlimited. Why is it unlimited? We can't even give a number 
to the kind of objects that we networking with. If, if somebody asks yourself, when are you networking? You are networking with unlimited objects. What is time? All objects of the past, present and future. You're networking with the past. What is your past? Millions of past. Your present and your future. That's time. Space, everything your six senses come into contact with. So how can you, how can you say how many objects that you interact with? Every interaction produces every concurrent mental functions. The Buddha only gives you 51 because how can the Buddha tell you billions? There's not enough words to include them. So the Buddha's teaching only gives you a generalized so that you can understand. How many, of the, how many ministers are there in the parliament of your mind? Billions, unlimited. Not just 51, don't attach to number. Numbers just give you a, a point of reference. The unlimited time, unlimited space, therefore unlimited objects of attentions. But the Buddha categorized them for us. What are these external objects to which we have habitually attached in our mind? Objects as they are. Objects that we see, objects that our perception interact with, objects that are created by thoughts in our mind, when you sleep, when you close, when, when all your, your senses, outside senses are not working, you think about something. You think about your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your mom, your dad, and think about past. It's all in the mind. Those are the objects of the mind that you create. Those are the most active, the most subtle. And thoughts that are a combination of the one and two. They have a little bit of raw experience and a little bit of illusions in it. For example, at nighttime, there was someone walking by under the, under the street lamplight, and you say, that's a ghost. But there's a person, the shadow of a person. You think that's a ghost. That ghost feeling, because that ghost, the shadow of that ghost, is projected from a human, which is objects as they are, as a human. And then you think it's a ghost, as an illusion. So that's an illusion. So it's a combination of objects as they are, object created by your thought, ghost. So it's a combination of one and two. All these objects include everything. You see, in the Buddha's teaching, the Buddha is very, was very scientific. He couldn't tell you everything. He just summarized it for you. That includes all the objects. If you have any that I would like to include on, tell me. There's no others. These are the objects of the mind, objects of the combination of mind and actuality that combines past, present, and future. Now, given that, you really have to remember then you know when you attach what happened to yourself inside your mind. Free it. Emancipate all these. Let go of all these. It's extremely difficult. That's why we're meditating. If you can be free from the bondage of all these, you are the Buddha. When you are the Buddha, no more suffering, no more reincarnations, no more mental afflictions. You are in a state what we call nirvana. 
and how do you feel people how do you feel when you are in that I don't know I haven't been there don't ask me but I know the feeling is you're not you're, you're without all these without sufferings and some people may not value it I don't care about this right now I, what I want to do I want to get married next month and I'm going to have a good job you know I'm going to have this I'm going to have that I don't want to care any others you have been habitually thinking about that. I won't blame you. You have been habitually thinking about that. 